Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verse 34 and 35. And I, I know you're thinking, Wayne, you're going so slow. Will you ever get out of chapter 14? Well, I want to promise you, I can't wait to get out of chapter 14. I'm just having to go kind of slow so we don't get messed up here. I think I've made just about everybody mad. So today I might as well complete this picture <laughs> as we're dealing with the women speaking in the church. Oh dear. We're talking about order in the church. This is part three as Paul is trying to get some kind of integrity back into the worship experience of Corinth. Uh, it's no way in the world, we've said it over and over again, that we can recreate or fully understand the chaos and the confusing situation that was going on in Corinth. There's no way. Their public worship was a sham. And both the men and the women were to blame. There were no, no, no spiritual leaders amongst the men, and there were not many women who were willing to submit if there was. And so it's just a real mess there. And the women were out of control as well as the men. And so he's trying to put some order back into their service. I have so much respect for the Apostle Paul. He loves these people, and for that reason, he's willing to step right in the midst of a really difficult situation, right in the midst of everything they were doing, and tell them they were wrong. Now, either he's incredibly stupid, or he's an anointed man of God, one or the other. Because what he just does is goes against the whole Corinthian denomination. He steps right in their face and says, everything you're doing is nothing more than flesh, and he tries to help them get it back on its feet to where it brings glory to God and not to the experiences of of man. That took a lot of love for them and that took a lot of love for the Lord Jesus. And you know, in chapter 4 verse 14, let me remind you, he didn't say anything to them to shame them or, or to try to put them down. He said, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Well, in verses 27 through 40, after 26 verses of dealing with them speaking in this gibberish that nobody understood, Finally, he comes down and says, okay, now here's the way your services are going to have to be. He puts the order back into it. In verse 27, he makes a concession. The little word iti is the word that's sort of a concession word. It's, 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 it's sounded like saying, all right. I mean, he's done this twice in this study. It, you can almost feel the, the frustration that he has of dealing with people that don't want to be dealt with. It's kind of the way it is today. You talk to people about what the Word of God says, they'll throw their experience right back in your face. They don't care. And every time you come back to the Word, they'll do the same thing. 
Well, Paul was going through the same frustration. I get the feeling of that as I study it. And we see some of these words that he uses. And in verse 27 he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, if you've not been with us, a tongue is that gibberish that's going on. He distinguishes languages, tongues plural, from a tongue with what's going on there in Corinth. That was nothing more than a gibberish. Came right out of their pagan worship 30 miles down the road, the oracles of Delphi, and they drug it right back into their experience there at the church. They thought it was spiritual. They even thought it was a sign to the believer. And he's already corrected that error. And he says in verse 27, If anyone speaks in a tongue... It should be by two or three, or at the most three rather, and in turn, each one in turn, and let one interpret. Each one in turn, and let one interpret. Now, the little word if again is used, and he's saying, all right, all right, all right. If you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, it's going to have to be this way. There's an order to it. Two or two at the most three, and you don't do it all at one time. You do it one at a time. There are two things he's making sure of. It tells you a lot about what's going on in their service. One is that uh, not, not, nobody's speaking at the same time, and there's no more than three. Secondly, that it be interpreted, that it be interpreted. You see, when somebody speaks in a gibberish, it can't be interpreted, and so you see the subtlety of what he's telling them right here. In other words, he's creating a hypothetical situation. This really can't happen, but for the sake of argument, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it this way. He cleverly slips in the nail that just sort of slams it shut. He says in verse 28, but if there is no interpreter... What? There's no interpreter. What? Nobody can understand what you're saying? Then he says, all right, let them keep silent in the church. Let them speak to himself or to God because nobody else understands you and you don't know what you're saying. Maybe God can get something out of it, but you don't know what you're saying. But don't bring it into the public worship service, he said. It cannot, no one can translate a gibberish, and that's what he's talking about. Well, in verses 29 through 33, he addresses those who speak in an understandable languages. He moves from them to the prophets. Now remember, the canon was not complete. There was no formal doctrine that had been yet formulated for the church. It was being done as, we, as, they, as Paul was writing. So they had prophets a little differently, and perhaps these were the prophets of the early New Testament church. We see them phased out. We don't have them anymore because we have the canon. We have the Word of God. But one would stand and speak, and then another perhaps would give fresh revelation to what he had just said, but it all had to be accountable. And he said, let two or three prophets speak. And of course, when a prophet would speak, you had to understand what they said. And let the others pass judgment. And just to say this, not to go back and re-preach what we've already done, but in review, pass judgment means to have the discernment to be able to hold the one who had spoken or is speaking accountable to what God has said. And so, again, you see the emphasis on the content of what one says. How can you ever say, say that speaking in a gibberish has any content to it because it has no understanding to it? Even the prophets have to be accountable, and they speak in an understandable language. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Now, their way of doing things was drastically different than today. Anybody who would go into this chapter and try to mimic that way of worship misses the whole point. That's just the way they were doing it in that time. But the point that we can glean from them is that the one who was speaking, there was respect for him. And so what was being said, everybody else wasn't chaotic and trying to speak at the same time. Let the one who is speaking speak. Let him be accountable for what he says. Then verse 32, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. 
That word spirit has to do with the mind, the understanding. And what he's saying is the prophet who is doing the speaking must be in control of what he's saying. Now, how different is this from those who would stand up and speak in a, in a gibberish that nobody understood, totally out of control? He says, now listen, you prophets, when you speak, the other ones can't because they won't be an interpreter. But when you speak, you're accountable also and you be in control of what you're saying. Don't let it be a babbling gibberish. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. And the word confusion there is the word that means God is not the God of that which is out of order. God is not the God of that which is disruptive. It had to do with all that was going on in Corinth. Now as God continues, or as Paul continues his efforts now to put order back into the church, I believe now he begins to allude to the very root of the problem of all of it. Now when I read this you're going to think and I'm saying the women were the root of the problem. I know you are. I know you are. But don't you do that to me. You let me finish everything I'm going to say today because you're going to be a lot happier than you think you're going to be, ladies. You think I'm going to get on your case. It's going to be a lot nicer and softer than you thought. Verse 34, however, says, Let the women keep silent in the church. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't write this. For they are not permitted to speak, but let them subject themselves just as the law also said. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, what is Paul doing here? I know what he's doing. He wrote this to get me in trouble in the 20th century. He knew that Wayne's going to get everybody mad at him before this thing's over. Now, what is he doing by bringing the women up? What role do they have in what's going on and speaking in this gibberish? That is his theme now of all of chapter 14. It's speaking in this babbling, this silliness of saying stuff that nobody can understand. He's putting it down, putting it down big time. Why does he bring the women now into the picture? Well, let's just wade into a very controversial area. Some places you go, you put on hip boots. I've got, in some places you go, you put on chest waders. I need a scuba tank. <laughs> but let's ease into it. All right, first of all, we need a definition. <laughs> we need a definition. Let the women keep silent in the churches. That's sort of an oxymoron. And <laughs> no, I heard somebody say... <laughs> I was speaking in the book of the Revelation once and I heard somebody say, <laughs> I, I know there's no, no women going to be in heaven. And I said, why? Because it says right here that there's silence in heaven for 30 minutes. I said, no, 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 okay. Everything's fine. I'm going to dig a hole for myself before this thing's over with. One of the things that most women do, or most men don't know is that the word for woman and the word for wife are the same words in the Greek language. Dr. Zodiades, I don't think he's with us today. I think he's traveling and speaking, but <laughs> he, he just laughs at me when I try to pronounce the Greek words. I mean, after all, I've only studied with him for 10 years, and I should have learned a little bit, but I just mess it up. And the word for, for woman is G-U-N-E. Now, I wasn't meaning anything by it. I didn't realize how funny it was going to sound. I just, we were doing a study on it, and I said, okay, how would you pronounce G-U-N-E? Goo-nee, goo-nee. Brother Sparrow says, no, Wayne, no. Guinea, Guinea. I said, all right, Guinea. Look like Goonie to me. I didn't. That's the word. I'm digging a hole. I'm telling you I'm digging a hole. Now, we have to decide, we have to determine whether he is he's speaking to the women. Obviously, they're speaking to the women, but is he referring specifically to the wives? Because the word means the same thing. There are those who say that Paul is giving a general principle 
that no woman can speak in church. They have to be silent. They can't do anything in church. Can't pray, can't speak, cannot do anything. Now, ladies, I think this is totally incorrect. So relax. I'm on your side. I'm not in the camp that, that, they, that they say what they're saying. Now you say, why is that, Wayne? I'm going to explain it to you. Just stay with me. In making our decision here, we've got to make that determination, however. Is it, is it a woman or is he speaking of wives specifically? Now the same thing you have to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 when it says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, again, you've got to make up your own mind. Is he talking about wives there, a wife over a husband? Or is he speaking of women and men? Because the words are the same in the Greek text. You say, Wayne, what do you think? I'm not getting into that. I've got enough on my hands this morning. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2. But that's the same type of thing you get into when you look at this word. You've got to make up your mind. Well, if you look at verse 35, I think he clears up the answer for us in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. To me, it clears up the problem. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, if they desire, who are the they? If they're just any woman, whose husband is she going to ask? <laughs> Sounds to me like he's talking about wives. And if the wives have a problem, go to their husband. Why he singles that out, I don't know. But that's the way I see the text. If he's saying a woman must keep silent in the church, that, ca that can't be right. Because she can't pray. We saw that back in chapter 11 where they can't prophesy, they can't speak. Or they can't even sing. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying something different. And I think he's speaking to the wives right here. Has a very direct word for them. And I think he's also saying to the husbands. Husbands, you be in control of your wives. Now, what was going on in the, in the Corinthian church? Again, we can't enter into. There's no way we're going to be able to mimic it today. But it was so chaotic. Evidently, there was a problem there with women. And he to set order back in the church, instead of dealing with all the women, dealt with the wives and said, and put them under a principle, if you'll get back under submission to your husband, then we can have order there, then we can have order within the church. Somehow the women were a part of the confusion that was going on in Corinth. Now I know somebody, some people don't like that, but he, he had to, he's very clear. He didn't say, children, you go home and ask your parents. He didn't say, wives, yank a knot knock in your husband's head. He said, you wives, you wives, you women. He said, you be quiet. And if you've got a question, you go home and ask your husband. Now, there's a cultural piece of the puzzle that might fit in here. Because in the setting of the synagogues, the women would sit on one side and the men would sit on another. If you go to Eastern Europe, and I'm about to leave today to go to Budapest, Hungary, over to Poland. And when we minister in the churches, normally, and not all of them, but normally, the women will be on one side, the men will be on the other side. They still do it to this day. And you can see immediately how that would create a problem. If the husband's sitting over here and the wife's sitting over here with another group of ladies <laughs> and it gets real emotional, look out, because how's the husband going to keep his wife under submission? So Paul says, if you can get that in check, then order can come back into the services that we're having. And to me, that's my opinion of what he's speaking of here. You've got to check it out for yourself. I've never said I'm the authority. God's word is the authority. But as I see the text, he speaks of wives and he speaks of husbands. And he's saying, you wives, you being submissive to your husband. And you husbands, you help me handle this problem. Because if you'll handle, if you'll take care and put your wife under control, then we can have order 
within the church. So the women had something to do with the chaotic situation of speaking in a gibberish in the early Christian church. And the way Paul sees order is by telling them to get back under submission to their husbands so that they could have order in both areas. You remember one of the judgments to Israel in the Old Testament was, you'll know you're being judged by the fact that women shall rule over you. And when women get out of control, matter of fact, just for a second here, turn over to 2 Timothy. I want to show you something. If I can find it, it came to my mind. See if, see if we can find it real quick. 2 Timothy, and it's in chapter 3. Ah, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. Now you do understand that all that went on in the pagan situation down 30 miles of road from Corinth was an emotional, a very emotional thing when those oracles of Delphi would speak in that gibberish and that babbling. Now I tell you what, ladies, you understand what I'm saying. Men are not emotional enough, but, but more than not, women are very emotional and get caught up in different things and are easily deceived because of it. You said, now Wayne, you're reading that into Scripture. Am I? Look at verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. And he's dealing with false teachers. And I want to show you who they prey on. A false teacher is one. He says, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sin. You know, see, that's what's going on in Corinth. There's so much sin, nobody's dealing with it. And he says, led on by what? Various impulses, the emotions of the time. Now, this is the same way he said in another passage, he says, Adam sinned, but Eve was deceived. And it's very important to understand. If you can get the women under the, and the men to, to get their act together and, and to get the women in, in order at home and the men becoming the spiritual leader of that woman, then that's going to bring order into the church. So the, in the sense of a definition here, we need a definition. And I think the woman is the wife. He speaks very specifically to her. But then secondly, all of us also need a classification. What is he talking about? Especially ladies. If you want to know what's going on here, you're going to have to know what is it you can't speak. Verse 34, let the women keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak. Speak what? Well, the verb that is used for speak in verse 34 is the word laleo. It's, it's, the, it's contracted from laloa. It is the same verb, now listen to me, that is always used. Now, it can be used in other places, but it's always used when it comes to speaking in singular a tongue. You wouldn't use the word lego, which is the word of meaning speaking intelligently. You wouldn't use that. You would use none of the other words that are used for speak. You only use laleo. In matter of fact, chapter 14 will show you what I'm talking about. Look in verse 2. The only word, now it's used in other verses, but when you bring up speaking in a tongue, laleo, 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 laleo. And we covered this back in chapter 12, but for the sake of you that haven't been with us, we'll look at it just for a second. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue, laleo, speaks in a tongue, does not speak to men but to God. Verse 4 of chapter 14, one who speaks, laleo, in a tongue, edifies himself. Verse 13, therefore let one who speaks, laleo, in a tongue. Verse 19, and Paul is speaking of himself, but, in, but he's, he's contrasting what's going on, so he uses that word. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then in verse 27, if anyone speaks laleo in a tongue, it should be by two or to most three, and each in turn, and let one 
interpret. The root meaning of the word laleo, and again, it can be used in other ways, but the root understanding of it is simply by, according to Kittles, according to all the resources I went to, was simply a babbling to make a noise, an uncertain noise. It was used to the sounds of animals. <laughs> Anybody in here say they understand an animal? I've had people tell me that. I'm thinking, you know, you were weird before you told me that, and now you've convinced me. I mean, Understanding the sounds of animals. It's used of musical instruments that are out of tune. You get the picture? Laleo, an uncertain sound, not a certain sound. Whenever God speaks, whenever His Word speaks, when the law speaks, it's never used the word laleo. It's the word lego, and it's the word for me intelligently speaking. So in the context here, what is He talking about? It's not right for a woman to speak in church what he's saying is he's tying the women right to the gibberish that's going on in Corinth. And he's saying that's what he's driving at. This has been the context of the whole chapter. And in verse 34, that's what he's saying. When it's not, well, women cannot speak that gibberish within the church. If he wanted to say women cannot speak intelligently, he would have changed the words, lego. But he did not. He left it laleo. His whole discussion is wrapped around the problem, the controversy that's going on. In Corinth, Laleen, the present active infinitive of Laleo, has the particular and predominant meaning of make a noise, babble, an uncertain sound. Now, what does that tell you, again, of the women being right in the core of this fleshly practice that's going on in the church of Corinth? Paul is not speaking of intelligent speaking. It's never forbidden of a woman to speak to a group as long as she's under authority as Timothy talks about in, in, to her husband and to the church. It's never wrong for her to be able to share, to stand and sh share the Word of God. There's some who say it is. No, sir, it's not. But it's always wrong for her to speak in that babbling, in that gibberish. Now, all of chapter 14 has been addressing this. But in nothing Paul is saying is he putting down women. Now, ladies, don't, now don't get bent out of shape. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't... Get your hair uncurled all over all this stuff. He's not putting you down. What he's saying is he's identifying the source of the problem, but he's also saying it's not, not only is it wrong for you to speak, it's wrong for your husband or any man. It's wrong for anyone to do that within the congregation, the public worship. Back in verse 13 he says, Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Anyone, doesn't matter who it is, man or woman. Verse 27, if anyone, anyone is the key, speaks in a tongue, it must be by two or th at the most three and each in turn and then let one interpret. If you can't interpret it, be quiet. Men, women, all of them. But the reason he's bringing up the women again is because they're at the core of the problem of what's going on in Corinth. He doesn't want them speaking in the air. He says in verse 9 of chapter 14, so also you unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, understandable. How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. He's not putting the ladies down. He's identifying a problem. You say, Wayne, you're trying to read something in. I'm not reading anything in. I'm just telling you, I didn't write this. But the women were at the core of it, and it was his speaking in a babbling, in a gibberish, and calling it a spiritual gift, and even thinking that it was a sign to believers. And earlier in the chapter, he blew that theory completely out of the water. By bringing up the wives of this men, of these men, he also is indicting those husbands, I want to tell you, because those husbands evidently were not leading their families as they should have been. They weren't, they weren't the spiritual leaders that they should have been because if their wives are out of control in church, 
you know that they're out of control at home. I wonder this, and I only wonder it, and I'll probably get letters on it, but I wonder this. I just wonder it. If you took all the women out of the movement that has been along ever since Corinth, of speaking in a gibberish and in this other language and calling it spiritual, if you took every woman out of it, what would be left of that movement? What would be left of it? If you've ever watched, just pay attention. Just pay attention. Did you know that 80% of all the Christian books, no matter who wrote them, are bought by women? Only 20% are bought by men. And if you look at the big conferences and places and watch it on television, look at the audience. And it was the same problem in the Church of Corinth. Now, ladies, there's no put down to you. But he's going to come now to the answer. The last thing I want to share with you today that's going to take me the longest is the answer. You have to have a definition. Who's he talking to? You have to have a classification. What is it they can't say? And we've, we, I think we've, we've got that down. Then we come, there's got to be a transformation in the Corinthian church, just like there's got to be a transformation in the church of Jesus Christ today. If you're going to live after the flesh, all kinds of chaotic things are going to come out of your life. Now, his specific context is this, but there are other things that you could add to that. Now, what we need is a change in bringing order back into the family so when the family gets in order, then the order can come into the church and the church can be in order. When you see a church that's out of order, you've got families that are out of order. And no wonder he addresses the wives and no wonder he addresses the husbands. Let's look at this transformation. I think he's alluding to the real problem, not only of Corinth, but of the church today. Verse 34, that the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, this, this gibberish, but let them subject themselves. Now watch this carefully just as the law also says. And then he immediately goes to husbands in verse 35. Now let's talk about this for a second. Let them subject themselves. Let them subject themselves. What is that word? Now men, we need to be, stop being so hard-headed and listen to what these two words, there's two words for subject or to obey. And I want you to understand this word that I'm about to tell you about is not used here. There's some men who take this as if their wife is a doormat and walk right over them. That's not it at all. That would be the word ipoakuo. That is used when the wind would obey the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he spoke, the wind obeyed, no questions asked. It's the word used of a child obeying his parents. It's the word used of a believer obeying God. But it's never used of a wife obeying her husband except in 1 Peter chapter 3, giving the supreme example of Sarah and Abraham. The word ipoakuo. So don't get in your idea here. It says, wives, just obey your husbands, whatever they say. No, sir, that's not it. No, sir, that is not it. But there's another word that is used here, and in the context is beautiful because he's not putting anybody down. Understand that. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to put order back into the family and order back into the church and make some sense out of this. It's the word ipotasso. That's a different word. Ipo means under, tasso means to arrange or to place yourself. To arrange yourself or to place yourself under. It's when you have two equals. Diane and I are equals in God's sight. It's when Diana chooses to submit to me by putting her, her life and arranging herself so that I can be in the position to lead. And therefore God can deal directly with me. And if I don't lead, he chastens and disciplines and scourges those whom are his own. And so that word has the idea of two equals, but one chooses to submit to the other. When the Southern Baptist Convention this past year brought up women or wives submitting to their husbands, it brought an outroar amongst the liberals all over our country, no matter what denomination or religion. Hey, what does God's word say? And why would a woman do that? I can hear a woman now saying, that redneck, I'm more gifted than he is. 
I'm sharper than he is, got a better personality. Why in the world do I have to submit to that redneck? I'll tell you why. Because God said so. You say, well, I don't understand that. What don't you understand about submit? I mean, what part of it? Is it the first part of the word or the second part of the word? God said it. It's kind of like a guy following a car. He says, follow me. He says, where is he going? I don't know. What part do you not understand? Follow or me? I mean, that's what God said. That's his order. Now, if he's got an order in the family, he definitely has an order in the church. And what he's saying is, you do it God's way, period. You don't do it man's way. Corinth, as knowledgeable as they were, were doing it their way and not doing it God's way. This tells me that the fleshly attitudes of Corinth had infiltrated the family and that there was no submission of the wives to the husbands and there was no leadership of the husbands to the wives. And this is the problem. When you come together for public worship, what goes on inside that house will come out some way in a disorder when public worship is, is, is happening. Back in chapter 7, we saw, we got a clue about how their families were all upside down. They didn't have a clue about anything. They even thought that sexual intimacy in marriage was a sin. <laughs> Paul said, good grief, people, what are you doing? It took him a whole chapter to straighten them out. So their families were a mess. But this also tells me, now men, listen to me. This is not just an indictment to a woman. If you've got a wife that is out of control in a worship service, you've got a man somewhere that's not fulfilling his responsibility of leading spiritually that lady. And see, this, even though he doesn't bring men into the picture at all, just by bringing the wives automatically puts the men into the picture. And so there's a twofold problem. Women that won't submit, but men that won't lead. Leading a prop, not drive, lead. I think he's saying when you wives are willing to start submitting to your husbands, order can be restored. You know, I can hear some lady now saying, well, why didn't he say if you men would start living, right, the wives would submit? Because the men were not the, the instigators of the problem at Corinth. The women were. Stay in the context. Don't leave the context. I can't understand. I can't answer all the questions. I'm just saying he's dealing with the women, and he's saying, submit to your husbands. Go home. Submit to your husband. If you've got a question, ask them. But don't come into this body of believers and continue to create the chaos and the confusion that's going on in Corinth. He says, but let them subject themselves just as the law also says. Now, that, that threw me. That threw me. Uh, what law is he talking about? I couldn't find a law anywhere in the Mosaic law that said that women were not allowed to speak. I did find in my research that the synagogues, they wouldn't let them talk. But hey, where do you find that in the law? There's a lot of things in the synagogue that God didn't have in the law. Where do you find that a woman cannot speak? I, I couldn't find that law. So what law is he referring to? And he leaves it open. Most of the time when it's a specific law, it'll be the law of Moses or the law of, but he doesn't put what it's referenced to. The only conclusion I can come up with, and I'm certainly not the authority, the Word of God is, but my conclusion is it's the law of order that's all around us. The very thing that God does is decent and in order. And therefore, there's an order in the family, there's an order in the church. You do it God's way. When God's a part of something, there's order and there's not disruption and distortion because God does it right. In verse 40 of chapter 14, he says, But let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. Why? Because that's the way God is honored. God is not honored in chaos and confusion and distortion and disturbance that can come within the body of fleshly-minded believers. This law of doing things decently in order would apply to the men as well as to the women. And so as according to the law, he says, he said, you do not speak, you, you submit yourselves. There's an order in the family. There's an order in the church. And then he goes on and he says in verse 35, and if they desire to learn anything, 
Let them ask their own husbands at home. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, you have to bring this in. There's a cultural situation here that he might have been talking about, but I think it's deeper than that. But this has got to be factored in. If you're a true student of the Word, you've got to know this. If the synagogue practice had filtered into the church, then the women on one side and the men on the other side, when they had a question, the women would shout across to the men and ask them if they had a question. And you can see in a minute how confusing that might be. It could, is that what he's saying? Go home. Take it home. Don't do this in church. Don't shout the questions back and forth in church. That makes a lot of sense to me. But to me, that's not the root of it. If they desire to learn anything, if they really desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. Now, here's where I, I'm going to interject, again, my thinking on the text, and you just have to reason it out, see if it be so. Take your questions home and put the monkey on the back of your husband so he will become the spiritual leader of your family. You know what the problem is? And I see this everywhere I go. I, I preach all around the world and about to do this all the time. You say, well, you've been doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I won't keep on doing it all the time. But I go in a lot of places, and because of my relationship with Precept Ministries over the years, which has been a wonderful relationship, but there's a lot of people who know me through the videotapes that they put out. And I have watched this, and Diana's watched this. They line up after a service, man, to tell me, that they enjoy the taste. Now, that's fine, and I appreciate that. that. They're very gracious people. But what I sometimes pick up is they're wanting me to get into Scripture and answer questions and questions and questions and questions. And the thought just comes to my mind, especially when I was studying this, I wonder where their husbands are. Where are the husbands? Do you realize that, that a woman, by going to her husband, you say, well, my husband is a redneck. He doesn't know enough about the Word of God. He doesn't even know where the table of contents is. Well, I wonder why he doesn't know that. Now, I want to tell you something, ladies. I know us men are going to get burned. We get burned all the time for the stuff that we do and don't do. And the Word of God just eats our lunch. In Ephesians 5, he says, women, submit yourself to your husband or wives. And then he eats the husband's lunch for about the next 15 verses. So I, we're going to get our due. We're going to get our due. One of the things I've noticed is if a man ever struggles with an immoral thought or whatever, a lady is quick many times to just burn him because of that. And I understand that. But any man who says he's never struggled with any moral thoughts is either lying or he's dead, if we'd be gut honest. But let's just, change this, let's just change it back to the other side for a second. What is the sin that Genesis says a woman has? And you know what that sin is? She shall desire to rule over her husband, to be in control. Now, what's any different? Why do we throw rocks back and forth? Men, get right with your sin and your, your flesh. But ladies, also the same thing. Go home. Trust God. You say, Wayne, my husband's an unbeliever. How in the world would I submit to him? I don't know. Ask Simon Peter because he wrote 1 Peter chapter 3 and he says, you ladies, in the same way that Jesus submitted himself to his father, likewise, you women submit yourself to your husbands and if they be disbelieving husbands, you'll win them without ever speaking a word. I didn't write that. I just wonder where all the problem's coming from. God says as an order, Trust God in the order. Don't trust your logic to figure it out. Just go home. Hey, hey, honey. Hey, beanhead, get off the couch. Hey, I got a problem here. And I'm looking at this passage. You're looking at what? I'm looking over here at Philippians. Philistines, where's that? Philippians, Philippians, get it right. It's in chapter 4, verse 13. Well, what does it say? I can't read. Go get your glasses, dumb ox. Read the thing. <laughs> what does it say? Now, I need, some, I need some help on this thing. Well, why don't you go to the preacher? Because the Word of God told me to submit and come home and ask my husband, and you're my husband. Now, get with the program. You call the preacher. I need an answer. 
I just wonder if that would not do wonders in turning the whole situation around and getting men to understand their responsibility. And I wonder if it wouldn't keep women from getting so emotionally caught up in false doctrine that they begin to propagate it just like they did at the church of Corinth. Oh, Brother Wayne, oh, we're so glad you're leaving. <laughs> you know, I, I tell this story and have told it many times. It's a funny story, but it's not really funny. You know, a lot of times when I tell funny stuff, you say, why is he telling that funny? Because it beats crime. And I have a way of doing that. That's a quirk of my personality. Now, if it's offended you, just hang on just a few more weeks. But I do that. I can't help it. That's just me. You just pray for me. I'm going to wear a T-shirt. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. But you remember for years I talked about the fact that there was a long time before I realized that the WMU was not the Women's Military Union. <laughs> that statement has got me in more trouble than just about anything I've ever said. I mean, there's a school for mean women somewhere, and they sent them wherever I pastored. I know that. I was down in South Africa, Bill Stafford's preaching. Now, now I, I love Bill, and Bill's preaching away, and I'm just sitting there and just enjoying it. I'm in East London, South Africa, on the coast. They don't know me from Adam's house cap. They know Bill. I'm just with him. And he says, Wayne, what is it you call the, the WMU? What is you, now, I'm not picking on WMU now. This is going to go out over television. Y'all, just relax. You know, get a life. I'm not, not understand. Uh, and I, I didn't answer because he remembered it. He said, ah, the women's military union. <laughs> and when I had told this, I'm thinking, I'm dead. I am dead. I am dead. I haven't even met these people and I'm already dead. There was a break between the sessions. <laughs> here she comes. <laughs> Got a little bun right back here. <laughs> Steam coming out of her ears. Her little husband walking behind her. I could envision a ring in his nose and she had a little leash just leading him around, you know. <laughs> she walked up to me and she said, Preacher, my daddy told me when I was growing up, said, Son, you're going to be in so much trouble because you always do it the wrong way. Just plead ignorant. They can't burn you for ignorance. I knew exactly what she was talking about. She said, I don't think that's funny at all. I said, What? <laughs> Women's military union. I've never heard of such. I said, Well, ma'am, I'm so sorry you said that. I said, but you want me to be honest with you? I said, the meanest white woman I ever met in my life. <laughs> well, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Boy, she just turned around this. But I looked at her husband, and I've never forgotten it. And he's standing there with a grin from ear to ear. <laughs> in fact, he looked back at me at least twice to grin at me again. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> Here's my point. Here's my point. Where are the men that love God and that live, live a life not perfect, nobody's perfect, but live consistent and predictable and when they sin, they come back to the cross. Dinah told me years ago, she said, Wayne, but the only thing that made me want to submit to you was finally I saw you learn to you submit to Christ and it made it so much easier for me to submit to you. You get order back in the family, friend. You're going to have order in the church. And you check out where all the emotionalism comes from. I, I didn't write this, but boy, I'll tell you what, it's like reading the newspaper in the 20th century. Paul doesn't speak to the young people. He doesn't speak to the husbands. He speaks to the women, and I think in reference to the wives. And if you want to get the women under control, get the wives under control, then they can become the influence for the single women, and then you begin to have order coming back into the church the way God wants it to be. Well, oh, won't you be glad to get out of chapter 14?
It goes on and says, for it is improper. It is improper. It's out of place. For a woman to speak. Laleo, one more time, coming right back to his text. It's been there all the way through in the church. This gibberish, the women had a ton to do with it. And it's improper. Now, ladies, let's put order back in your family. Men, you take your leadership where you ought to have it, the right kind of leadership, and then we'll have order back in the church. We have a definition. What women is he talking about? I think he's talking about the wives to their husbands. We have a classification. What is it they can't speak? The gibberish, the babbling that was going on in Corinth. And we have, and I pray, we have a transformation to where the families can get back into order, the law of God, which does things decently in order. And once the families are in order, that order can also be in the church. I hate to read directions. That's one of the faults of men again, and that's why we're so hard-headed, I guess. Several Christmases ago, several, good night. Steve will be 26 in a few days. <laughs> a long time ago, back when he was seven or eight, when do you ride a big wheel? How old are you when you ride a big wheel? Whatever age that was. And one Christmas Eve, I was going to put together his Christmas present, a big wheel. <laughs> You've got to know our family. You've got to know our family. Diana looks at me. When I have a, when I have a screwdriver in my hand, she trembles. Uh, <laughs> I'm very destructive. I can take it apart that quick, but I can never get it back together. But I said, I'm going to put this thing together. She said, are you going to read the direction? Directions? It's just a big wheel. A kid could put this together. I worked on that thing. Wasn't that much to work on. I mean, I put all the pieces on. It looked good. It had those big old wheels. It was, it was a, one of those sick-looking sick greens. Remember those green, the green things? It wasn't a frog cutter. It was a sick green. Had little tassels coming out of the handlebars. Had those big old wheels on it, plastic thing. And I could just envision him riding that thing the next day. And I even thought about myself trying it, but it was a little too small. And I, and I put it together. And I was so proud. Now, there's one thing when you're putting it together, there's one thing you got to do. The last thing you do, you better make sure everything's there. And that's to put those little cap nuts on there. Because if you put a cap nut on and you realize you've made a mistake and you take it off, that cap nut never goes back on like it first went on. It's loose from then on. You're dead in the water. Is it all ready? I looked around. I couldn't see anything. Put that thing on. Boop. And I pop, popped those cap nuts on all the side. And I said, I was so proud. And I rolled that thing out across the room and it was. And I'm thinking. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's a different way to ride. You know, I threw it across, and boy, it was just wobbled everywhere. And Dinah walks in the room. It's the wrong time. How you do it? Oh, good, good, good. Really, really good. Let me see it. <laughs> and they could tell her. And she looked in the box, and she said, what are these four red little things right here? <laughs> oh, oops. Directions. You're supposed to. The order in which you put it together was, and the little things, you put them as it says, so when you get it together, the big thing will work like it ought to work. I forgot to put those sleeves in there, which would keep the thing from going. <laughs> and that goes straight. So I had to take the cap nuts off. <laughs> I put the wheels on after I put the sleeves on. I thought it'd be okay. No. All Christmas Day, I spent trying to, Calm Stephen down, who was crying because his wheels fell off. <laughs> trying to find the stupid cap nut somewhere in the grass. I finally got a thing of spray paint, and I spray painted them a real loud, I think it was orange or something, but some real bright color so I could start finding those cap nuts because they kept falling off. <laughs> the big thing failed 
because the proper order of putting the little things together wasn't there. If you want order in a church, it doesn't start in a church. It starts at home. It starts with a wife and a husband and a family, and those families become models for those singles. And when those, that submission is there and the father's taking the leadership and you bring that back into the church, you can have order in the church. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 